This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. And guess what? This is episode number 50. Bit of a milestone on this episode. I'm calling this episode The Curse of the Forbidden Prophecy. Now, to celebrate this milestone, I am giving away a Faith FM T-shirt. That's right, a T-shirt. Not getting book DVDs or any sort of other material. You're getting a T-shirt to celebrate 50th episode of the Faith Experiment. To get today's giveaway, you need to stick around to about the end of the show to get today's code word. You'll text it into the Faith Experiment number 04888845311. So save the number in your phone right now. Here it is again, 04888845311. Double one and wait for today's great code word. Hey, I'd love to hear from you on the Faith Experiment today. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know what you've thought. If you've listened to the Faith Experiment for a while, what do you think of the last 50 episodes that we've done? Have you enjoyed them? Is there topics that you'd like to see me cover in the future? Let me know. Text me in 04888845311 or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, we are continuing a sort of a little mini-series here on the Faith Experiment. We've been looking at this idea of can these ancient manuscripts actually give us a sense of what's taking place in our world today, i.e. what's going to happen in the future. And so to start this little journey, we've looked at the ancient discoveries in archaeology and how they have confirmed the historical accuracy of the biblical manuscripts that we're using for the faith experiment. We've also looked at a whole range of different prophecies to see whether or not these manuscripts have a dependable track record when it comes to predictions. And then we looked at that's all good and well for the past, but what about for the present and the future? And so we looked at some prophecies in the book of Daniel that deal with a timeline from Nebuchadnezzar's time period right down to the second coming of Jesus. And we found that we are living in the very last stages of that prophecy. We've also looked at some of the signs of the times the Bible talks about and how they reveal the proximity of something cataclysmic coming very, very soon. And on the last episode we explored the topic of digital currencies and Bible prophecy. And we found that 2,000 years ago, thereabouts, the book of Revelation foretold of a time where there would be a global economic controlling power uh, facing the whole world. And we looked at how central bank digital currencies seem to be the last missing piece in these prophecies being fulfilled. Well, that's all what we've covered so far. If you've missed any of those episodes, you want to catch up with some more of the detail, I encourage you to go and check out the past episodes on faithfm.com.au under the podcasting section or getting the Faith FM app from your app store and looking for the Faith Experiment. You can also track the past episodes on all good podcasting platforms. So that brings us to today's topic, the curse of the forbidden prophecy. Now, we've already sort of started delving into the Old Testament prophetic book of Daniel. And in the last episode, we were starting to get into the New Testament book of Revelation. Now, in the center of both of these books, there is a figure. In the Old Testament, he's known as Messiah. In the New Testament, he's known as Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth, who claims to be the Messiah. 
and he is really the central focus of the entire Bible, according to his own claims. When we looked in our previous um, episode on the last empire, we saw that that rock, that rock that's cut out without hands and strikes the image and represents the last empire uh, inhabiting the whole earth, it represents the kingdom of a returned Jesus of Nazareth. But the question we're going to explore in this episode is who was Jesus of Nazareth? You know, in 1999, in December 6th issue of Time magazine, there was an article on the front cover titled Jesus at 2000. And in this article, there is a statement that I just want to share with you real quick. It says, the single most powerful figure, not merely in these two millennia, but in all human history has been Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he's been pretty influential in human history. I mean, there's all kinds of things he's influenced in terms of books and there's paintings and there's movies made about him, there's poems about him, there's even operas about him. But probably the biggest and simplest fact is, is that human history has been broken into two pieces of B.C. and A.D. because of him. So who was this Jesus of Nazareth? Well, the first thing to note is that he was a real person living in Palestine 2,000 years ago. And today historians believe that because there's too many non-Christian ancient historians that wrote about him. Uh, Talius, who lived in 52 A.D., he speaks of the death of Jesus. He's a non-Christian He's outside of biblical authors, and he's talking about the death of Jesus. And then there's Serapion. He's a Syrian historian, non-Christian as well. In 73 AD, he writes about the execution of the king of the Jews, all citing back to the historical account of this physical Jesus of Nazareth living at the time that the biblical manuscripts refer to him. And then you have Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, uh, lived from 37 to 97 AD, and he is an advisor to the Roman general Vespasian, who later became the emperor of Rome. So he was well-connected, and he had nothing to do with Christianity. Now, archaeology has shown what Josephus wrote about the fall of Medassa in 73 AD was very, very accurate. So he, he can be trusted as a non-Christian writer. He also writes of Jesus Christ. He says, now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds. He goes on and says, Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, condemned him to the cross. Now, that is exactly the biblical account from a Jewish historian who was not a follower of Jesus, and he was working for the Romans to keep accurate records. And then there was Tacitus, who was living from 55 AD to 120 AD, and he is known as the greatest historian of ancient Rome. And he wrote this, he says, Christos, from whom the name had its origins, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Now, even archaeology supports the reality of Jesus with some of its discoveries. There's an amphitheater in Caesarea, which was the headquarters of the Roman occupation of Palestine about 2,000 years ago when Jesus lived. Now, archaeologists have discovered a stone there, which they've now called the Pilate Stone because it has this inscription on it. It says, Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. Archaeologists have also recently discovered this ossuary of Caiaphas. And an ossuary is a box in which bones of a decomposed body were placed. 
And again, it was this same Caiaphas, he was the high priest who the Bible in the New Testament talks about leading the Jews to have the Romans crucify Christ with directly interacting with Pilate. So even from an archaeological point of view, all the same key characters exist at the exact same time as this historical Jesus. So there's no question that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person living in Palestine 2,000 years ago. But the question still is, well, who was he? You know, Was he a good man? Was he a renegade rabbi, uh, just a good moral teacher? Was he good like Buddha or Muhammad or even like a Jeremiah prophet of the Old Testament? So who did this Jesus of Nazareth actually claim to be? If we go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we find here that Jesus is speaking to John, and this is what he claims in a vision to John. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's in Revelation 22, verse 12. Now, you'll notice here that Jesus is claiming to be the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. But what's fascinating is, is that this title actually belongs to the Almighty. We read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, same title, says the Lord. And then it adds, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so Jesus is actually clearly claiming to be God Almighty. In fact, he was claiming to be Jehovah, the eternal, self-existent one, because the first and the last were titles of Jehovah. If we go to the Old Testament book of Isaiah 44, verse 6, we read, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. And so here we see that Jesus has claimed that he himself is God Almighty. Now, we see the same phrase here in John, the New Testament book of John, chapter 13, verse 19, where Jesus says, Now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I, I am, that is literally translated as the Lord God. So he has made it very clear that he is God. In fact, Buddha never claimed to be God. Confucius never claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be God. But this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived some 2,000 years ago, claims by his own admission that he is God. Now, to make such a claim as being God Almighty, walking on this earth you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is either a God-man, meaning he is who he claimed to be. He is a madman, like he's crazy. He's like, you know, got mental health issues. Or he's a bad man for lying and making such a claim when he knew he wasn't that. What's fascinating with Jesus is he requires you to make a decision. Either he is a crazy man, he's mad, or he is a bad man, he's a deceiver and lying, or he is in fact God. There are no other options. He forces us to choose one of these opinions now it's time to take a short break here in the faith experiment we're right back after this with the curse of the forbidden prophecy and the code word for today's great giveaway a faith fm t-shirt 
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04 That's 04 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au.
nothing he ain't seen before All your sin, all your sorrow and your sadness There's a Savior and your cross Bring it all to the table And he calls, bring it all to the table This is The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Roy Bergen, and this is episode 50 of the Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode The Curse of the Forbidden Prophecy. Before the break, we are looking at this man. Jesus of Nazareth. Is there historical evidence for his existence? So far, we have seen yes from an archaeological perspective, from a non-Christian historian's perspective, absolutely. And the fact that today his legacy impacts everyone walking and breathing on the planet today, whether it's simply by the way we reckon time, whether it's to the influence of his teachings or just his life. So we are asking the question before the break, what did he say about himself? We've read from the book of Revelation that Jesus claims the title that belongs to God Almighty in the Old Testament. And so that leaves us with a very interesting situation. Either Jesus is crazy, he's a madman, and he actually believes he's God when he is not, or Jesus is a bad man, That means that he is a liar. He knows he's not the Son of God, or he knows he's not God Almighty, and he is trying to deceive people. Or he is, in fact, God. There are only really three options here. He's not just able to be taken as a good moral teacher, because how can he be a good moral teacher if he is either crazy or if he is a liar? So, what is he? What evidence is there that Jesus of Nazareth was God. Is there any evidence for it? Well, I want to take you back, and I think it was the first or second uh, episode in this little mini-series, where we talked about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. And you remember that the scrolls that they found date back between 100 and 200 BC, so they're quite old. And these were copies of the uh, scrolls that make up what we call today the Old Testament. Now, in these ancient scrolls, which date back the copies to 200 BC, or 200 years before Christ, there are predictions with a proven track record. We've looked at some of them already in the book of Daniel, in terms of that amazing prophecy that was shared with Alexander the Great that convinced him not to destroy Jerusalem. Now, among these prophecies, there are predictions about the Messiah's birth, his life, and his death, which is the title that Jesus of Nazareth claimed. Now, in the Old Testament, now there are about 351 prophecies made between the year 450 BC and 1000 BC that reveal, as we'll see, that Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, God in human flesh. Now, here's just a few examples of them, and then we'll dig into some in a bit more detail in just a little bit. But there's a prediction that the Messiah would be born of a woman. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born to a virgin. He would come from the line of Abraham, a descendant of Isaac, descendant of Jacob. He would come from the tribe of Judah. He would be heir to David's throne. He would be 
seated on a throne that would be eternal, and the Messiah would be called Emmanuel. Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. A massacre of children would happen at his birthplace. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Messiah would be a prophet. He would be preceded by Elijah. He would be declared the Son of God. He would be called a Nazarene. He would bring light to the Gentiles, and he would speak in parables. He'd be sent to heal the brokenhearted. He would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be called a king. He'd be praised by little children. He'd be betrayed. The money of his betrayal would be used to buy a porter's field. He'd be falsely accused. He would be silent before his accusers. He would be spat upon and struck. He would be hated without a cause and would be crucified with criminals. That was just 30 of the 351 predictions regarding the identity of the Messiah. So let's have a look at just a couple of them. The amount of his betrayal. In Zechariah chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Thus said the Lord, they have weighed out my wages 30 pieces of silver. Notice here that again, the Lord here, this is the word Jehovah in the original language, which is God Almighty, who claims that the amount of his betrayal would be 30 pieces of silver. Now, when we come to the New Testament in the recording of Jesus' life and his teachings in the book of Matthew in chapter 26, verse 15, it says, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? This is Judas talking here. And they, that's the priests, they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Now, think about this for a second. How did the Bible prophet know that in the days of Christ or the Messiah, 450 years after his writing Zechariah, that the price of a slave would be 30 pieces of silver. That's 450 years difference, and yet he got the price of a slave perfect, which is what uh, he was betrayed for. You know, we don't even know what the price of bread will be next year, and with inflation going up, it's even more difficult. And yet this prophecy was perfectly fulfilled by the enemies of Christ. Here's another prediction where the money would be bought and how it would be spent. This is the betrayal money. So notice once again in this passage in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13, it says, And the Lord, that's Jehovah, said to me, Throw it to the porter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord, that's the temple, for the porter. Now, in the gospel account of Matthew in chapter 27 and verse 5, it says, Then he threw down the pieces of silver. This is talking about Judas. He threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hung himself. But the chief priests consulted together and they bought with them, that's the silver, the potter's field. Incredible that this prophecy is so precise. The amount for the betrayal, where the money was bought, and then how the money was spent. Absolutely incredible. And all of this was predicted 500 years before concerning the Lord, and it was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. He is God, the Lord, Jehovah, God Almighty. Well, it's time to take a short break here on episode 50 of The Faith Experiment, The Curse of the Forbidden Prophecy. We'll be coming back after this with the code word for today's great giveaway, a Faith FM t-shirt. I have a limited number of these t-shirts, so you've got to be the first to get in. Stick around here on The Faith Experiment. 
The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Watch the house fall right before our eyes. We have seen countless children die. We have wept tears at the end of dreams. No one is free here from suffering. The life we gain through Christ cannot be taken Even though we lose it all We'll not be lost We'll not be lost Behold, this love of God has ransomed Even 
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to episode 50 of The Faith Experiment, The Curse of the Forbidden Prophecy, which we'll be getting to very, very shortly. What is this forbidden prophecy and what's the curse all about? Well, stick around because coming up very, very soon is the code word to get today's amazing giveaway to celebrate the 50th episode of the faith experiment your very own faith fm t-shirt we have a limited number of them so get ready to text in today's special code word at the end of the show on 04 553 say that i'm on your phone right now 04 553 let's get back into today's topic so before the break we have been looking at this person jesus of nazareth he has been the one of the most influential people in human history we uh, count time based on him We have been influenced in uh, every aspect of life pretty much because of this man, Jesus. And in 1999, at the turn of the millennia, Time magazine did a front cover article saying Jesus at 2000, and they said that he is the most influential figure in human history. And so we're asking ourselves in this episode, is he in fact who he claims to be? We saw that he left us no options other than he is crazy meaning he is a madman, or he is a bad man because he is trying to deceive us, or in fact, he is in fact God, who he says he is. And we've seen that there is historical evidence that he existed outside of the Bible. He actually walked this earth according to extra-biblical sources. And before the break, we looked at some of the prophecies. There's 351 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the arrival and the identity and the acts of the Messiah. And we found just before the break, just two of them, how amazingly accurate they fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And here's one more, which we'll look at before we move on with today's topic. Here's the prediction about the method of his death, written around 100 years before Christ was born. It says in Psalm 22, verse 16, it says, They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, everyone knows that is exactly how Christ was killed. He was crucified. And archaeologists have discovered bones of men who had been crucified around the time of Jesus of Nazareth. And it's not a pretty sight. We've uh, basically calcified um, iron nails through the ankle bones and through the wrist bones. And so the crucifixion was practiced only for a relatively short period of time, from about 150 BC unto about 320 AD. So in all of human history, and all Roman history, there's only about a 400-year window. And I say only 400, but in think of this. The prophecy was made a 1,000 years before Christ was crucified. How did he get that right, and how did Christ fulfill that precisely? Well, all of this is leading to the conclusion that we're dealing with something supernatural with this book. Now, this next prophecy, in my opinion, is truly Remarkable. It's about the timing of his ministry and his arrival. Now, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah or the Christ, which was a claim to be God. Notice his claim to be Messiah during the trial before the Jewish priest Caiaphas. In Matthew 26, verse 63 and 64, it says, And the high priest said to him, speaking to Jesus, Swear by oath to the living God, Are you the Christ, that's Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus said to him, It is as you have said. 
Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. So you can see here that Jesus claims to be the Messiah. And that claim was regarded as blasphemy by the Jews because he was really claiming to be God in the human flesh. So was Jesus the Messiah or the Christ and therefore God? Well, there's an amazing prophecy in the book of Daniel in chapter 9 to be specific. This comes from one of those Dead Sea Scrolls, which are copies of the original, which date back to about 200 BC. Now, in Jerusalem... It had been laying in ruins for almost 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had destroyed the city. And Daniel was one of the captives taken to Babylon. We talked about that in previous episodes. Now, while he is in Babylon, he's praying and he's asking God, hey, we're getting close to the 70 years of exile that was predicted by Jeremiah. Um, Just checking in, we're still coming out, right? Now, while he's praying in Daniel chapter 9, suddenly an angel appears to him, according to Daniel, and his name is Gabriel, and he informs Daniel when the Messiah or the Christ will come. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined, or they're cut off, for your people and for your holy city. So if you can picture with me a timeline, 70 weeks from a starting point to an end point, and this 70-week period applies to Israel and specifically to Jerusalem. Now it goes on and says, Knowing therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, again, picture with me a timeline. We've got 70-week time period. And what we've just been told is what starts this counting of this time period is a command to restore Jerusalem. And then when that counting starts, we basically have, it says 62 weeks and 7 weeks, or a total of 69 weeks to start counting until something big happens. And what is that thing? Messiah, or the Christ, will show up. So picture this timeline in your head. You have a 70-week line. The starting point of that line is the command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. And if you count 69 weeks, so that's almost the entire period, right before the end, one week out from the end of the timeline, the Messiah will show up. That's what this prophecy is claiming to state when uh, Gabriel is talking to Daniel. So the question is, if we can figure out when the command to restore Jerusalem was given, we'd be able to know when this prophecy Starts Well, just uh, it just so happens, if you turn to the book of Ezra in chapter 7, we read that it was King Artaxerxes who issued the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And it specifically says in verse 7 and verse 13 that it was the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Now, we know from history and from archaeology the date of King Artaxerxes of Persia's seventh year in which he made this decree, it was the year 457 BC. So if you imagine in our timeline, at the start of it is the year 457 BC, and then we know that in 69 weeks from that date, Messiah or the Christ would arrive. Now, how long is 69 weeks? Well, you got 69 weeks, you got seven days a week, multiply those out, you get 483 days. So on our timeline now, we know that from 457 BC, when the decree is given, it will take 483 days 
until Messiah, the Christ, shows up. But 483 days after the decree was made, guess what? No Messiah shows up. Why? Because there is another principle when calculating time with Bible prophecy. You see, there's a principle that Ezekiel used, and Ezekiel was a contemporary to Daniel. Moses also was given this principle, and it's the principle that in Bible prophecy, one day equals one literal year. In Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, it says, I have laid on you a day for each year. We also find this in Numbers chapter 14. This principle that God gives one literal year for each prophetic day in prophecy. So that would mean it would be 483 literal years from when the decree is given in 457 BC till Messiah or the Christ shows up. Now, we will know whether this assumption is correct or not, or whether this principle should be applied in this case or not, because it all depends on when Messiah actually shows up. Is it literal days we're talking about here, or is it prophetic days? Now, we've already seen that if it was literal days, 483 days after the decree was given, there was no Messiah. That was still not even finished building the temple yet. So the evidence leans more in favor of a literal year to each prophetic day. But let's work it out. If we add 483 years to the starting date of 457 BC, we arrive at the year 27 AD. So using the year-for-day principle in Bible prophecy, and based on what this prophecy is telling us, the Messiah should have been anticipated to arrive in 27 AD. Now, what happens in 27 AD? Let's go to the Bible to discover. In the book of Luke, in chapter 3, verse 1, 21 and 22, the Bible says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now we know from Roman history that the 15th year of the Emperor Tiberius was 27 AD. And this is the year that Jesus of Nazareth was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. The further you dig, the more evidence is uncovered that strongly suggests not only did Jesus historically exist, but he was in fact the Son of God. Well, it's time to take a short break now here on The Faith Experiment. But when we come back, we are going to look at what is this curse of the forbidden prophecy. And coming up is the code word for today's great giveaway, the Faith FM t-shirt to celebrate the 50th episode of The Faith Experiment. There's limited numbers, so get ready with your phones to text in today's code word right after the break. I'll see you then. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Every time I try to make it on mine Every time I try to stand and start to fall and all those lonely roads that I've traveled on 
there was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now Well, there was Jesus Every minute, every moment Where I've been or where I'm going Even when I didn't know it Or couldn't see it There was Jesus For this man who needs amazing kind of The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you are listening to Episode 50, The Curse of the Forbidden Prophecy. And coming up very, very shortly is today's great giveaway, a Faith FM t-shirt celebrating the 50th episode of The Faith Experiment. So have your phone ready. You'll need a text on 0488845311, today's code word, which is coming up very, very soon. Now, on this episode, we have been looking at this person, Jesus of Nazareth. Time magazine in the year 1999 said at the turn of the millennia that Jesus is the most influential human being on human history and gives a number of reasons why. We asked ourselves, is he actually a historical person? 
Well, historians outside of the Bible who are not Christian are certain that he existed. They talk about him. In fact, there is more evidence that Jesus existed outside of the Bible than even some of the uh, people we take for granted. There is more about Jesus in extra-biblical writings than there is about King Arthur of the Round Table and various other personalities. And so, yes, historically, we know that Jesus was a real human being walking on the face of the earth around 2,000 years ago. But then the question is, what did he teach? And we found that Jesus taught that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is God Almighty. He's not in the same class as the prophets. He's not in the same class as Buddha or Muhammad. He claims to be God. And so we've said either he is mad, either he is a bad man, or either he is God. We're not left with many other options. We can't accept that he's just a good moral teacher because then he is a liar and he's a deceiver. So is he in fact God? Well, we've looked at some of the evidence. We've looked at some of the 351 prophecies in the Old Testament pinpointing the life, the ministry, and the death of the Messiah. And we have found with absolute uncanny accuracy how Jesus fulfilled not just the events, but the descriptions of the events and the timing of the events. And we saw that amazing prophecy in the book of Daniel in chapter 9, where we're told that the Messiah is to be expected to show up 69 weeks after the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And we've found that that is 483 days. If you multiply 69 weeks by 7 days, you have 483 days. And we know that no Messiah showed up at all in that time period after the command was given. They were still rebuilding Jerusalem 483 days later. And then we discover that if we are dealing with prophecy and counting of days, we need to apply the biblical principle of one day equaling one year. So when we add 483 years to the command to rebuild and to restore Jerusalem in 457 BC, we arrive at the year of 27 AD. And before the break, we found that it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar that Jesus was baptized and the voice from heaven was heard saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when we look at Roman history, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar was in fact 27 AD exactly as the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 had predicted. So we've seen from these prophecies of the Old Testament or the Dead Sea Scroll collection that there is substantial evidence that suggests that the prophecies point to the coming of an individual identified as the Messiah, identified as God Almighty in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, And we see every one of those prophecies fulfilled in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that historically there is evidence that Jesus was a literal historical figure that walked on the earth. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of Sir Isaac Newton. He was a British scientist and a mathematician. He is regarded as a a great intellect. He was also a person of faith, 
a follower of the teachings of Jesus. And he wrote a number of books on various aspects of the teachings of Jesus. He wrote a number of books on Bible prophecy, particularly the book of Daniel. And this is what he has to say about that amazing prophecy that we've just looked at in Daniel chapter 9 regarding the 70 prophetic weeks or a literal 490-year prophecy which pinpoints the arrival of the Messiah. So Isaac Newton wrote this regarding that prophecy. He said, This prophecy is the foundation stone of the Christian religion. And what he means by that is, is that this prophecy pinpoints the arrival of a person in 27 AD who would fulfill all the characteristics of the Messiah. And that person was Jesus Christ. Now, this brings us to the curse of the forbidden prophecy. During the history of the Jews, some rabbis could actually see that this prophecy that we've just been looking at in Daniel chapter 9, the 70-week prophecy, and this 69 weeks pinpointing the anointing of the Messiah, some rabbis could see that this prophecy led Jews to the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth must be the Messiah. So, to keep their people from coming to that conclusion, some of them, some of the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, they put a curse on anybody who studied Daniel chapter 9. Now, here's the actual curse as it's written. It says, May the spirits of those who attempt to calculate the final time of Messiah's coming expire. Now, that's from the Sanhedrin 97b. It's quoted in chapter 12 of Hilchus Melichon. Now, how ironic is this? The very people, the guardians of these oracles that were delivered through Moses and the prophets and finally to the Jewish people and the rabbis, these people who have access to the language, to the culture and to the text, they looked at this prophecy and said, let's curse anybody who tries to calculate the time of the Messiah in this passage and may they die. And then on the other hand, you have Sir Isaac Newton, a free thinker, a deep thinker, who looked at this and said, the cornerstone of Christianity hangs on this prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. So all of this, I hope, gives you some food for thought to see that in this quest to know the future, to, to find a source that's trustworthy and a source of hope for the future, we see that at the center of both the Old and New Testament is this central figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who was a historical figure and who archaeologists have confirmed he existed. And from his own testimony and the comparison of prophecies, more than 351 of them, we find that there is compelling evidence that he is in fact who he says he was, that he was the Son of God. So what does it mean then? Does it matter? whether we accept that Jesus of Nazareth was in fact the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, does it matter? What impact does it have in our faith experiment? Well, I'd like to suggest a couple of passages from Jesus' own teaching. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He then proceeds to heal somebody and tells them to get up and walk. So Jesus being the Messiah, being the Son of Man, 
The first good news for you and me today is that he has the power to forgive sins. Remarkable, because the same text teaches that all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And this Jesus claims to have the power to forgive of your sins. And in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses we have out there, if it's true that Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, then it says that God loved this world so much that he gave his only Son, Messiah, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish because of their sin, but have everlasting life. There's a gift of eternal life with this Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And then in John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, Therefore I said to you, speaking to the Pharisees, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, that's the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And so he's offering us the hope, the certainty of a life that's better than what we've ever known. And then he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. And then he says in John chapter 14, verse 14, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then he adds in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul speaking about Jesus, he says, I can do all things, meaning I have the strength to do all things through Christ, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth strengthens and empowers me. And if Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, then what he says in John 14 verse 3 should make us all excited for the future. It says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He has gone to prepare a place for you. And then he says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, he himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. If Jesus is the Messiah, then he is our everything. As Isaac Newton said, he is the cornerstone of our faith. He is our hope. He is our purpose. And he is God with us. Well, as mentioned at the top of the show, we are celebrating the 50th episode of the Faith Experiment today, and I am giving away 10 Faith FM t-shirts to celebrate. If you'd like to get a t-shirt today, you need to text the code word SHIRT, S-H-I-R-T, to 0488-45311. That's the code word of SHIRT, S-H-I-R-T, nothing else, just SHIRT. Text it to 0488-45311. And I will send you one of these Faith FM shirts. I only have limited stock to give away, and it's first in, first served. If you are one of the lucky ones to get in first, there will be a question asked of you which size you'd like, small, medium, large, or 2XL. Um, reply with that, and then we will arrange to get that shirt sent out to you to say thank you for listening to The Faith Experiment right here on Faith FM right across Australia. Well, that's all I have time for on this episode of The Faith Experiment. Make sure you tune in next week at the same time as we continue this little sub-mini-series looking at hope in these ancient manuscripts. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Text me on 0488-45311 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and I'll see you on the next episode of The Faith Experiment. 
You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888 453811. That's 04888 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Hey, guess what? Robbie here. This is a bonus. The Faith Experiment is going to be going live. Not on radio, but in person. Check out faithfm.com.au slash events to see where I'll be visiting next. I'll be visiting towns and cities right across Australia presenting the faith experiment in person. So if you'd like to join me, come say hello, or just dig deeper into these amazing manuscripts and put some faith into experimentation, check out faithfm.com.au slash events and see where I'll be visiting next.